Through this season as a church body and as a church community, we've been going through the book of Daniel. But today we're actually going to take a brief break and then we're going to come back and conclude the series next week. So you can go ahead and read Daniel 6 and 7 next week and we'll be concluding with that famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. And then in June, we're actually going to start a new sermon series on the Psalms. So begin reading through the book of Psalms together, and we're going to have an opportunity to have a few more musical specials and also to hear from different voices in the community sharing reflections on the Psalms. This morning, I'd actually like to take a brief moment to to pause from that regular series in order to reflect on the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5. And in the Gospel of Mark, we actually, in chapter 5, in this passage we're going to read, we learn about the timing of God, and of course of God's perfect timing. I remember once someone sharing with me that the timing of God is impeccable, right on time. And so today we're actually going to read this passage that talks about God's timing in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. And we're going to read the, the whole section together, and I'll be reading it in, in English, but you can go ahead and read in Spanish or the heart language of your choice right at home. But I'll be reading from Mark, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Let's hear now with open ears and open hearts from the Word of God. Mark, chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask? Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. 
Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Do not be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we come before you sincere, honest, even with our flaws and brokenness, Lord, we come to you, Lord. In our imperfections, we come to a perfect God. Lord, we pray that today, do whatever it takes, God, to transform us, to transform our fear and turn it into faith, to transform the old and to make it new. We pray, Lord, that you, were, you would pour out your word on us today, that we may be able to drink from that living water that we may be able, Lord, to confidently know your truth and your way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the road, Lord, that will take us back home. You are the way to new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So currently, all around the world, all around the nation, there's a big question going around. And it's a big question having to do with time and timing. It's a big question having to do with waiting. The question behind most questions right now is the question, how long? How long, O oh Lord? How long will this take? Right now, this is the big question for many. When will this season end? And is it possible to have an exact time and an exact date for this unique time to come to a close? Question after question. When will this season end? When will churches reopen for in-person gatherings? For some of our graduates, when will I graduate or start my career path? When will we get back to so-called normal. When will we be out of exile? The Lord hears our prayers. Scripture tells us that God hears our cries. And God actually engages those prayers and those cries, and He responds to our realities. The gospel, the good news of God through Jesus, 
is actually in this passage that we just read here, we see that Jesus is really finding a way to tie it all together. We worship an eternal God. We're people, but we worship an eternal God. And the gospel has a way of actually tying everything together, both the present with the past as well as the future. We see how the salvation of Jesus and the power of God has the power to restore our past. And through the power of the gospel, we have guidance for the here and now, for the present. And by the power of God through the gospel, we actually have security for the future. That's why no matter what we may be experiencing as a people, as a culture, as a world and society, we are to make the most of every opportunity. Let's be clear about this. This is not wasted time. This is not a break from connecting with God or connecting with community. The book of Ephesians reminds us to not waste time, but to actually make the most of every opportunity. And in this season, we can actually make the most of it by actually stepping in and learning to be eternally minded. As God's people, we're called to be eternally minded. And for you and I that are eternally minded, that means that we have everyday mission that begins here and now. No wasted opportunity. Everyday mission for the eternally minded. That's part of the unique calling for God's people. As we're navigating this question, how long or when will this end? I think of a couple of things. I do grieve. I grieve with those that are experiencing job and economic loss. And I also grieve deeply with those that have lost a loved one. I've known people that have experienced both. Maybe you have too. We do exactly as the scriptures call us to in the book of Romans. We grieve with those who grieve. That's what we're called to do. We are not called to conform to the patterns of this world. We're not called to conform to unhealthy, polarizing patterns that say, are you for A or are you for B? That's the ultimatum. No. Are you for life or are you for livelihood? That's not our calling as exiles. It doesn't have to be either or. As God's people, we don't have to conform to the patterns of this world trying to push us into one corner or another. But we can view both as important and we can hold them in tension. They both must be a part of the conversation. Life and livelihood must be a part of the conversation and we must hold them together in tension. They both must be a part of the solution. Because we can point out problems all day. But God is the solution. As we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. As human beings, we actually have every single reason to be humble. 
this passage here reaffirms that truth of our reality. And we see this with three main characters and three encounters that Jesus has in this passage. First, there's the encounter with Jairus, then the hemorrhaging woman, and then the sleeping girl. They were all extremely different people in very different circumstances, but they had one thing in common. They were not in control of their time or of their circumstances. Similarly, us today, we need to remember that. We are not in control of our time or of our circumstances. The people in this scripture that encountered Jesus They were reminded of that, and they came face to face with the fact that they were not in control. And now is the time for us to face it. Stop pretending. You are not in control of your time here on earth. You are not in control of circumstances that are bigger than you or me. You are not in control, and neither am I. None of us are. We live life, and in this life, we steward time, and we respond to circumstances, but we do not control either one. And if you don't believe me, well, really, all it takes is just a reality check. All it takes is one moment. All it takes is one phone call. All it takes is one situation to face up to the bitter truth that we are tirelessly trying to run away from. We're trying to run away from this reality that we are not in control of our time or of our circumstances. And when we become aware of that, that's what actually brings us into the season that we're all in right now. Currently, we are in a season of waiting. Estamos en un tiempo de esperar. We're currently in this season of waiting, not sure what comes next, not sure what the outline or the instruction manual is here, but we're waiting. Waiting reminds us that we are not in control of time or of circumstances. And yes, this is the season that we each find ourselves in. The American writer Ernest Hemingway, he actually used this theme of waiting as one of the primary tensions or dramas in his many fictional stories. Hemingway seemed to think that waiting does not have the power to break us. And I want you to hear that right now. Waiting does not have the power to break us. It does not have the power to break you. But waiting will certainly reveal us in many ways. Waiting won't break us, but waiting will reveal us. Waiting will often reveal who we are deep inside. This season of waiting has clearly revealed what we've known all along, but we still try to continue to distract ourselves from or suppress ourselves with. This season of waiting has revealed once again that we are not in control of time and we are not in control of circumstances. That's part of what it means to be human. 
the fragility and the vulnerability of humankind, that's inescapable. Yet all it takes is something like this to remind us of it, a season like this. This is inescapable, yet as soon as we're done here, we're going to hear all kinds of noise. Talk shows, commercials, social media blasted on us, constantly trying to convince us of the lie that we are in control. Or that somehow we are the center of the world. Yet all it takes is a day. All it takes is a pandemic. All it takes is a disagreement in reality and interactions with other people to realize that that simply is not true. And we're obsessed with finding ways of masking that vulnerability or masking that weakness in all kinds of ways. Some of us try to mask it through power or through pride or extreme anger and aggressive behavior. All of that arises from trying to hide the reality check, trying to hide the inevitable truth of our lack of control or us coming face to face with the fact that we are not in control. The hard truth that Scripture has a way of reminding us of is the fact that we are so much more vulnerable and more powerless than we actually want to admit. We like to think that we are so independent, but the fact is that this season of waiting has actually revealed how interdependent we are on other people, on other circumstances that are completely outside of any one person's control. So the flip side of our lack of control, our lack of power, the flip side of that is really the fact that God is so much more powerful than we want to admit. Sometimes we want to convince ourselves that this is our world and God is just a part of it. Reality checks like this remind us that no, this is God's world. This is God's reality and we simply live in it. We are a part of it. Indeed, it's actually God who's at the core of our desire, yet we want to fill that God-sized desire, that God-sized gap with all kinds of things, all kinds of coping mechanisms, success, comfort, authority, education, and even power. We see here in this passage the story of a man, Jairus. Jairus was someone that was pretty comfortable. Jairus had success, he had authority, he had power. Jairus was actually the kind of man who had wealth, who had status, probably wealth and status beyond what any of us will ever probably reach in our lifetime. Jairus navigated life in such a way when he gave orders, things happened. But not in this situation. This situation was out of his control. Jairus recognizes Jesus and the power of Jesus, but then Jairus loses hope when things do not work out according to his timing. When things do not go his way, Jairus loses hope. Does that sound familiar? Or is it just me? Jairus' biggest problem is not that he is a slow learner. He knew of the power of Jesus 
But Jairus' biggest problem is that he is a quick forgetter. That's why we do this every single week, and we're going to do it as long as it takes. We're going to continue to gather together to build each other up in order to remind each other of the love and the power and the faithfulness of God. Not because we're slow learners, but exactly because we are quick forgetters. Jesus here in this passage, he demonstrates ultimate humility and ultimate patience. Jesus is quick to listen and slow to anger. Instead of immediately rebuking Jairus and the woman and the sleeping girl, instead of rebuking them for being quick forgetters, Jesus heals and serves the woman. He helps Jairus and then heals the sleeping girl. One of my favorite uh, New Testament writers is an author by the name of Tom Wright. And he talks about these passages. He's written a lot on this chapter. And he says that these are actually passages and scriptures that are really talking about fear and faith. The power of Jesus is a power to take us from fear to faith. Where are you today? Where does Jesus need to take you today? How can he help you on this journey from fear to faith? How can he help us, both as individuals, but also as a church community as we move forward and navigate this time? This morning, what's your posture like before God? Are you here this morning with a posture and attitude of faith? Is it fear? Is it a blend of the two? Right now is the time to be honest. Right now is the time to bring our real selves before a real God. He'll meet us where we're at. He'll take us where we need to be. So how about when you actually ask the question, whether jokingly or seriously or post or whatever it may be, when you ask that question, How long is this going to take? Where's that coming from? Is it coming from a place of fear? Is it coming from a place of faith? Whatever that is, it's all right. Let's just be real. Let's just be honest this morning. Because that's where God works. He works in our reality. What we see here in this passage is three lessons from three different encounters. First, there's Jesus and the woman, then Jesus and the sleeping girl, and then Jesus and Jairus. What do we learn from this encounter with Jesus and the woman, the hemorrhaging woman? When she sees Jesus coming, everyone's crowding around him, and yet she reaches out. That's her only hope. What does that remind us of, friends, brothers, sisters? When life crowds around us, and right now life feels very crowded, feels very tight. When life crowds around us with all of its pressures, all of its anxieties, all of its expectations, there is still room. There is still room for us to reach out and touch Jesus. 
even if that's all that we feel we can do, even if we feel we don't have strength for anything else, you can reach out and touch Jesus just as this woman did. She reached out and she reached out and touched him, knowing that he would heal, knowing that he would restore. And she did it in that odd mixture of both faith and fear. It felt like faith and fear were both dancing together. That's something that is familiar to me, and it's something that characterizes so much of those in this journey with Jesus. So much of those that have experienced the Christian walk, we know what this tension feels like, this tension between faith on the one hand and fear on the other hand. However it is that you find yourself today, my prayer is that you would reach out. Reach out and touch Jesus. Reach out and he will reach back. In fact, his arm is not too short to save. He's already reaching out to you this morning. Reach out to him. Pray, Lord, I need you. And see God show up in unique and amazing ways that only he can. So a question that comes up in reading the scripture is really asking ourselves, what healed this woman? Was it Jesus' power that rescued the woman or was it her own faith? The answer, it was Jesus' power. But he says something very interesting. He says, your faith has rescued you. Faith is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. The power of God works through the channel of faith. He is the one that is all-powerful, remaking and restoring all things, but the channel that he chooses to work through is the channel of faith. So we see that in the encounter between Jesus and the woman. And then there's the encounter between Jesus and the daughter with the sleeping girl, Jairus' daughter. This time we see something amazing. We see that in this account, it's actually, it's actually Jesus who reaches out his hand to the little girl. He reaches out his hand to this little girl who has died. Everyone believes so. Yet Jesus reaches out. And even though Jairus has lost faith, Jairus is discouraged. He's even lost hope to a certain extent. What we see here, is, yes, indeed, as we've talked about, faith is the channel for Jesus' power. But we see something here just as miraculous that even in our fear, even in our discouragement, even in our faithlessness, God is still faithful. Jesus still reaches out even when Jairus and others have lost hope. And I want you to remember that in this time. He is faithful. Even in our discouragement, even in our faithlessness, He is faithful and He will continue to reach out. My prayer is that we would reach back. And finally, here we have the encounter between Jesus and Jairus. I love how I can see um, really just myself in a lot of Jairus and his story here. Because Jairus had a plan. Jairus had a plan on how things should go. 
Jairus had a plan and Jairus actually had a timeline for the ways that things were going to work out. But then what happened? Things didn't exactly go according to Jairus's plan or Jairus's timing. So the question that we encounter here in this story between Jesus and Jairus, we can ask, when is the right time to reach out to God? And friend, brother, sister, this is my prayer for you this morning, today, wherever you find yourself. Now is the time. Now is the time to reach out to God. Now is the time to trust God. Now is the time to live into this new life of faith, this new salvation in Jesus. Now is the time. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today, here and now. Not when quarantine passes. Not when things go back to so-called normal. But now, here and now, Jesus' arm is extended to you. Will you reach back? He's reaching out. Trust God. And today, here and now, entrust your life to God. Entrust your time. Entrust your circumstances. Surrender it all to God and see what He does. See how He's able to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Now is the time here and now, in a season such as this. We're not just waiting for something to eventually come, but the now is not wasted time. Right now, we can encounter God. Right now, we can be a blessing to others. We can glorify God in our suffering. We can glorify God in our non-ideal circumstances. Because maybe we're all learning what Jairus learned in this account. And that's the eternal truth that time belongs to God. Surprise! Sorry to disappoint some of us. Time does not belong to us. It belongs to God. You and I as human beings, we just exist in time. In the same way that we exist on earth and we exist in the universe, it doesn't belong to us. Time belongs to God, and we exist in it. So since time belongs to God, yes, that means that He's in control of time, not us. We are not in control of time. We are not in control of circumstances, but we are stewards of time. Just as we are stewards of money, of treasures, of talents, as a gospel-centered church community here at Imago, we give generously of our money, of our treasures, of our talents, and we are also generous with our time. I'll never forget when I had to really uh, get a reality check in my life and, and face up to this truth, and I've never forgotten it since. I had a friend and a mentor that I knew in my 20s. Her name was Dr. Lara Buchek. She's a brilliant author, professor, speaker, and on top of all that, she's a committed church member. She's a wife, and she's a mother of young children. She's probably way busier than I am right now and that I'll probably ever be in my life. 
And I remember at one point really just uh, going to her office. She was actually a, a professor, but also a mentor of mine. And I was trying to get an extension on an assignment. And I came to her and I was just super stressed. I was overwhelmed. And you know, now that I think about it, honestly, back then I was in my 20s and I was single and I had no kids, I had no children. So really, I had no idea what I was talking about. That was probably the most flexible time I ever had in my life back then. But I still felt overwhelmed and, and super stressed. So I was trying to get her sympathies a little bit more so that she would give me an extension. And I remember even trying to like build up my speech even a bit more. And it even felt like, you know, a best actor speech or a dramatic effect like Oscar speech or something. Or I even said, it was almost a tearjerker, but I even said, Dr. Buchak, I don't even have time to go to church or to read the Bible or to pray. I'm just that stressed. And as I'm saying that, Dr. Buchak actually stops me and she says, I'm never going to forget what she says. She simply says, all right, Carlos, enough of the dramatic speech. Here's the bottom line. Here's the truth. And remember, this is coming from a renowned author, speaker, professor, committed church member, wife, and mother. Here's the truth. Give God the time, and he will give you the time that you need. Because time belongs to God, not to you or to me. Give God the time, and he will give you the time that you need. Friends, brothers, sisters, just as Jairus learned in this account, may we learn in this season of waiting that time belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. And he will be glorified through any time and any circumstance. And he will build your character. He will build your perseverance. He will build up your hope in this time of waiting. Waiting is not wasted time. Waiting is God at work when we don't feel it and when we don't see it. Waiting is God growing our faith, our character, our perseverance, and our hope. So where are you in this story? Jesus encountered both Jairus and the woman, and then also Jairus' daughter. Where are you in this story? Are you in the place of fear? Are you in the place of faith? Or is it some kind of blend or mix of both? My prayer is that this morning, however it is that you find yourself, that you would reach out and touch him. Reach out to Jesus. He is here. He is willing to love. He is willing to forgive. He is willing to restore. And he is willing to do something new, to do something beautiful out of what seems chaotic. Because what he has in store is so much bigger, so much beyond what we could think of or imagine. May we reach out to him as he's reaching out to us. And may we place all of our hope and trust 
in him alone. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are our great healer and our great defender. Just as that woman did in this story, Lord, would you give us the faith, give us the courage to reach out to you against all odds, against all circumstances, against the pressure of life coming down on us. Give us the strength to reach out to you, to reach out for help from you, from your people, because we know that you will reach back just as you did then. You are eternal, Lord. But your gift is that we can encounter you here and now in the present. Lord, you restore our past, you guide us in the present, and you secure our future. Thank you, Lord, for being our God and for calling us your people. Help us to encounter you, Lord, here and now not just in our own timeline or in our own plan, but here and now, in reality, that's where you are right now, God. So Lord, would you grow us and shape us in this time of waiting? Our hope and our trust is in you. Help us, Lord, to find an everyday purpose as we step into this call of being eternally minded, God. We give you all the glory and praise. It's in the faithful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.